0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan eight o'clock on a thursday good morning to you jake query kevin bowen here our next guest i have a feeling i don't know why i think this i could be totally off base seems to me like the kind of guy that might occasionally listen to some black sabbath or ozzy Osbourne. Uh, But Jeff Brom, who is the head football coach of the Purdue Boilermakers, joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He will be bringing his football team, of course, to Lucas Oil Stadium for the Big Ten Championship game facing Michigan on Saturday night. Coach, congratulations on the destination and coming back to Indianapolis, and thanks for joining us this morning.
2: Well, thanks for having me, and definitely I do listen to that music.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling there. Hey, I want to ask you, um, you come in winning three straight, and – I got to thinking about this, and the Big Ten West was so up for grabs till the very end there, I'm curious, if you had to to put your, your finger on it, did it end up going to the Purdue Boilermakers because you guys focused on what you had to do to win the Big Ten West, or did it end up being the Purdue Boilermakers because you kind of let the chips fall and just went about your business without hyper-focusing on what was at stake?
2: Well, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, You know, we understand uh, how this conference works. Uh, There's a lot of parity. There's a couple of really elite, dominant teams every year. That's probably not going to change a whole lot. But uh, a lot of the others, uh, anybody can win on a given day. So we just feel like that if we, you know, go through the ups and downs of the season, find ways to get better, be able to take constructive criticism, uh, come back the next week, try to improve and and, uh, eliminate some of the mistakes, uh, you'll have a chance. I just think our guys competed hard. Uh, we fought through some adversity. We, we found out a way to just win enough games to, to get to the championship. So, you know, credit goes to those players. because They did a great job.
3: Coach, obviously you were dealing with, you know, some tragic stuff off the field um, last Friday. Um, I'm curious where you were when that Nebraska-Iowa game ended. Were you guys, like, en route to Bloomington? Was there, like, an audible cheer? Uh, what was that experience like, and did you watch the end of that game?
2: Well, we go through our typical uh, weekly sh- schedule, and uh, at that time, we're already at the uh, away game hotel uh, doing meetings and dinner and doing those things at night, so it, we were kind of involved with that, and of course, you'd peek at your phone or some things like that to see uh, you know, what was going down, and um, you know, it just happened that uh, Nebraska got off to a great start, was able to throw the ball over their head a little bit, and then they had to hang on for dear life, like you always do, but... Uh, you know, Nebraska was a good football team. They just, uh, you know, they found a way to, to make enough plays early on to get a win, and of course, it helped us uh, find a way to get in this game.
3: Did you make sure your team knew that they want? I mean, obviously, it's 2022. Of course, they knew, but like, did you bring that up at all Friday night? Of we're playing for even more tomorrow afternoon. You know what?
2: Not, not, not really. Not at that point. Uh, you know, we've talked about some things before, and uh, I think before the uh, Iowa game at home. I brought up a little bit about uh you know what what's at stake, and uh we didn't play very good, so I said, you know what let's just concentrate on one game at a time and not bring up uh you know what can happen at the end of the year end of the year if we stay focused and do things right and let just take it weekly Because uh, I think we do a better job would you just worry about the task at hand for that week and don't get caught up in you know what the fans and, and and everyone else is looking at, it, which is rightfully so, but I think our players just have to concentrate on, on winning that football game.
1: Coach, in terms of – Jeff Brom is our guest, the head football coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. In terms of, you know, I think most know now, for those that do not, Aiden O'Connell, your courageous quarterback, who's been a veteran leader for you, found out before the bucket game the tragic passing of his brother. When when you have situations like that with a player – You know, you've kind of got to shift maybe from coach to brother type role or fatherly type role, whatever it might be for a player. But at the same time, navigate through the football responsibilities, allow the player to decide maybe whether or not they want to play. How did you handle that, all of that situation? And can you give us a glimpse into the strength that Aiden O'Connell showed as well, and maybe a moment where you said to yourself, this is a young guy going through a lot that that I think is going to be okay from a mental standpoint with his strength.
2: Well, you're right. Uh, when things like that happen, football is secondary, and uh, we want to make sure that we support all of our players uh, through those type of uh, situations. They're not easy. You don't wish them on anybody. Uh, it was unfortunate timing, um, and um, you know he was able to make the trip on the bus down to the hotel with us. It was not doing uh, you know very well uh did not attend our meetings uh that night. Um, you know, needed some more time. But I do think the more he was around our players and uh, even some of our coaches, um, mm-hmm. you know, he he got the strength to decide to you know that his brother would probably want him to play the game. And um you know, it's probably because he has such strong faith, um, he handled it probably as good as anybody I've seen handle it and um and then he went on, of course, and played the game and uh, played through some adversity in the game as well, but found a way to help us come out on top. And uh, obviously it was emotional for him. Uh, but those things are tough. I mean, you, you can't really predict how it's going to happen. We had a backup plan ready to go. We really didn't know for sure if he was going to play uh, until maybe late Friday night. Uh, we felt that, you know, he was going to give it a shot. But uh, those are tough situations. Um so we just want to support Aiden and his family and really anybody who's going through those situations because it's not, not fun
3: at all. Coach, I remember when we had you on a few months back, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something to the effect of, you know, I would want Aiden O'Connell to marry my daughter. Like he, He's that type of a human being. Um, can you describe what you've seen from him in the past week going through all of this? And I guess maybe just an update on how he is, you know, today and in, in preparing for Saturday.
2: Well, he's hanging in there and handle it uh, as well as you can. Um, yes, he is a tremendous human being. Now uh, he's been that way since he got here. Uh, he's always had great faith; it's continued to grow. Uh, of course, he he got married uh, to one of our volleyball players here, and uh, a lot of our players and coaches were at that wedding and reception. Um, and he's just uh, almost the perfect uh, individual. I mean, uh, you don't you don't see any. A bad traits. He's a great teammate. Uh, he gets along with everybody. He's got a great personality. Uh, he's fun to be around when you really get a chance to spend time with him. Um, so he's just uh, his faith has carried him to this point. Uh, he's earned everything that he's gotten. Um, he's been very strong through this, and he's still you know there's there's still some tough moments that he that he goes through, but uh, you know he's here with us now, and uh, we're going to support him. And I do think that uh, being around his teammates because he has a lot of really close friends uh have helped him as well get through this
3: has he been able to practice this week
2: uh he got back with us uh, yesterday and was able to practice then
1: coach you have jeff brahm is our guest on the payload stickers hotline over the course of the season you're riding a three-game streak right now you had four straight wins uh, a couple of months ago when was your team over the course of this year playing its best football
2: Oh, shoot. Uh, You know, I don't know if we really, like everybody, played our best football. We've had some uh, uh, early mistakes in the season that I think cost us, uh, you know, the possibility to win some games. Um, And then uh, we had a stretch there where we kind of corrected some of those and played better football and, and, uh, you know, won at Minnesota and won at Maryland. Um, And then we faced some teams that we have a hard time beating in in Wisconsin and Iowa that – you know, we, we couldn't find a way to get it done. We made more mistakes, and we found other things that we need to correct. And I think we just go about it on a weekly basis. We try to identify, you know, what can we do as coaches first to, to be better? What really hurt us in this game? Let's make sure we talk about it, address it. Let's try to get it fixed so it doesn't happen again. And let's just try to improve. I just think our guys have a good attitude. Uh, they know that every week is going to be a, a battle on the test and we're going to have to come ready to play. doesn't matter who we play. Uh, so I just think they have a great attitude. They have great mental makeup. Um, no, we haven't played our best football. You know, you, you know, IU, we're down at halftime. Uh, Northwestern's a close game. Uh, but our guys fight and battle and uh, we find a way to, to, to do enough to win. And of course, you know, in this upcoming game we're going to have to do a whole lot of things uh, very very well to have a chance to win in which
1: game this year did you learn the most about your team
2: well i thought the minnesota game was uh, a huge one for us we haven't won at minnesota in a long time um we had just come off uh, i don't know we might have been one or two at the time and minnesota was undefeated and ranked and uh you know, we had to come in with a plan. I thought we kind of adapted and uh, got some things fixed, came in with a good plan, played much better on on defense. Uh, that, that that really helped us find a way to win. Really, Devin Mockaby started to merge in that game, so that really helped us uh, when we had a little bit of a running game that was a spark for us. And I just think we continued to kind of uh, tweak some things along the way, but Minnesota was uh, a huge win for us to be able to go there at one and two and beat them when they were undefeated.
3: Going to be a lot of black and gold downtown this weekend. Again, Purdue and Michigan, eight o'clock over here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Jeff Braum with us right now in the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, what I guess in watching Michigan against Ohio State and just watching film on them this season, what stands out to you about Michigan?
2: Well, a lot. Uh, when you watch them, there's not uh, really any weakness. You know, in defense they're really, really good. Their front four and front seven, linebackers included are as good as we're going to face all year. they got a good secondary. They don't give up the big play. Uh, they make you earn it. Uh, you may get a few yards here and there, but they don't give up the big play. They get way more exotic on third down and get after the quarterback. Uh, and they may not have an Aiden Hudson, but they got a lot of really, really good players in their stout in the middle. So that's going to be a tough chore for us. And offensively, I mean, as good a running game as you can have uh, in college football, great offensive line, a bunch of really big, good tight ends. And then now what makes them different this year than last year, they have a really dynamic quarterback that can extend plays, get outside the pocket, and it gives them that other element. So that makes it tough to beat. And you know what? Uh, they did a heck of a job against Ohio State. Uh, you know, Ohio State had to lead early. They hung in there and they just kept swinging, uh, and they wore them down. And I just think they're a physical – Dominant Big Ten football team with not any weaknesses, and you're just going to have to find a way to, you know, just do a couple things and maybe get them on their heels, and hopefully they can find a way to get some turnovers and something can happen. But we got to do something because they have been a uh, really outstanding to this point.
3: You know, when you say we got to do something, your history of Purdue indicates that top five teams um, have not had great success against Purdue, and I feel like you've often pulled out a few. Um, interesting decisions you know kind of a few bags you know reach into your bag of tricks if you will um is it something like you literally have okay these plays these you know fake punts fake field goals, whatever we save these for top five teams or is that just something that you have and you use them throughout the season whenever you feel uh it's necessary
2: well I wish I could say that was that smart but no I don't don't save them for (laughs) for those teams Uh, I don't know when I'm going to play them but uh what we do is really our mentality when we play those teams is, is uh, you know what, we understand in order to win this game, we're going to have to do something different and, and special. Uh, so in general, it's just, you know what, we have to play aggressive. So offense, defense, special teams, we have to play aggressive. And we have to uh, step up the plate and not try to get a bunt single. We have to try to hit it in the alley or hit it over the fence. And you know what, we may strike out a few times. Or you know what, we may get beat really bad. I don't know. But we have to um, be aggressive in our approach. And even when we you know, beat Ohio State years ago in the second half, when it started to get close, a lot of teams will start to kind of sit on the lead and try to just uh, hold on for dear life. And when you do that, you're not going to win. So, uh, you know, you have to be aggressive. It has to be constant. Yeah, you may take a few on the chin. You may get down early. You, know, you, you never know. But you just have to really uh, be aggressive in your approach to have any chance to win against outstanding football teams.
1: Is it dangerous to look at the Big Ten championship game and try to dwell too much on what Michigan does and where they can be exploited versus just doing what you think your team needs to do? Because this is somewhat of an unfamiliar opponent, crazy as that sounds, because it's a conference opponent, obviously. But what jumps out at you about Michigan and how much do you dwell on Michigan versus dwelling on Purdue, if that makes sense?
2: Well, you you do both. I mean, you have to understand what Michigan's all about, what their strengths are, weaknesses are, and then you gotta figure out what your strengths, weaknesses are. And, uh, you know, for example, I mean, we're down at, uh, you at half, and it came to, you know what, we, we need to get the ball to our best playmakers, and then work off of those, and, uh, Charlie Jones, Payne Durham, Devin Mockaby, they need to touch the ball, and, and when we did that, we started to move down the field. So, yes, there's a combination of both, uh, but you do have to understand, you know, where Michigan's strengths are, and, uh, I mean, we're going to have to get the ball out fast because they're going to get to the quarterback. Uh, they got <laughs> they're really good up front. Uh, we're going to have to figure out ways to move the pocket. I mean, I, I don't want to give away a lot of things, but I'll be, there's just a lot of things you got to do different. And on on defense. You, you have to you have to stop the run, and at the same time, you know, how State gave up a lot of big passes uh, for huge gains. You, you can't do that. You can't give up huge big chunks as well. So there's have to be some type of balance and some type of risk that you use, and um, you know, you roll the dice and. Um, you know, you hope that it, hope that it works, but uh, it's just a combination of both. But this is a really good football team. I give them a lot of credit. Uh, to go into Ohio State and win the way they did it means that, uh, you know, they know how to play football and those guys know how to coach. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to the atmosphere. We're looking forward to a championship-level uh, game. We're looking forward to playing against, uh, if not the best team in the country, the, the, one of the top two, and, and I think it's just going to be a lot of fun
1: coach i know people are looking forward to it not only purdue fans of course but just the city in general it's a fun atmosphere and it's great to have some local flavor to it so we wish you the best congratulations on winning the big 10 west and best of luck against michigan in the big 10 championship game
2: good luck coach Okay, thank you guys have a good day
3: If you missed Jeff Brom on with us earlier. That'll be up on the podcast after the show. Uh, Purdue basketball. Men's team gets a win last night in Tallahassee. Zach Eady, another very consistent performance from him. I've been really impressed by just his steadiness, consistent production, and I just think he's got great patience and you know, them throwing the ball into him and him reading and reacting to the double team and all of that. And Braden Smith made some. Winning plays to kind of spur Purdue ahead last night, and then in your blo-
1: point earlier, Kevin. If Braden Smith flirts with the double, or a, excuse me, a triple double on a night where Zach Eady's got twenty
3: five, Purdue's going to win a lot of those games. 13, nine and seven for the Westfield product last night. Then in Bloomington, it was defense. You know, when you look at twenty three percent from three, sixty six percent from the foul line, I think if you were to show that to Mike Woodson at the start of the night, he's thinking, "Ooh boy." There's probably gonna be some game pressure moments and IU might even lose that game. Yet they win by twelve. Defense outstanding and then just dominated in the paint. Armando Baycock clearly was a little limited. I know Trace Jackson Davis has been dealing with some stuff, but Trace um was outstanding and I just thought Indiana to not even shoot it, you know, even okay. Uh, really, really good work on the defensive end of the floor.
1: What do you want? I, I was trying to cue up for you, Mark. For those that don't recall, Kevin just mentioned, how many did Indiana win by last night, Kevin? Uh, 77-65 oh, you on my 12. I'd like to, to play. And this is Now, Kev, you got on me earlier saying that I was two This is both of us. This is the kind of insight, expertise. Uh, y- you know, listen people ask how often we go out you know afterwards when we're not on the air and and watch and analyze and scout games um this is the kind of prediction insight prognostication that people come to expect from their favorite radio program not saying that's us but yesterday this was one of the last things said on the air here on this program here we
3: indiana's go indiana's hosting north carolina at 9 15 i i still take the hoosiers comfortably with that four indiana by 12 in I might look at an alternate line there. Mm -hmm. See? Mark, don't you like how he tries to tag in the, you know, this is a we thing. No, you said. When when his text last night was, can we please pull the end of the show audio where I said IU will win by 12. There was no we. Hey,
1: hey, you know what? You you were right there, though, saying. Then you recorded
5: it on a megaphone.
1: Well, no, that's actually right off of our website. Oh, it's very Very loud. loud. Well, that's right off our website. I don't know what to tell you there, Mark. <laughs> which which of the three of us is responsible for putting that up on the
5: website? I'm 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 sick right now. Take it easy.
1: <laughs> well, hey. I <laughs> just do you think the I'm out on Monday. Do you have think it's fun be- then? Do you think it's because you can't hear anything? Wait, we have Monday. Where are you going? Huh? I much things crazy. to do. Who is
5: your agent? I don't have one. I'm a free agent I mean, right now. You're like Pat Sajak. <laughs> well, you, let's not go there. 12 days each year. Pull dicey. <laughs> Pat Sajak's a bit in the weeds these days. <laughs> okay. I'm just
6: saying. You're watching you
3: know? Indiana last night, Jake, got me thinking. If they're able to split with Arizona and Kansas coming up, and again, the Arizona game in Vegas, the Kansas game at um, Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, that's a hell of a non-conference resume. Add Xavier again; you'd get another win away from home, Arizona or Kansas. I think the North Carolina win will still be pretty good, although the North Carolina team that a lot of people thought at the start of the year certainly not there. And that's just such a far cry from last year. I mean, last year the non-conference resume is what kept Indiana on yeah. the bubble for so long. Well,
1: that's what didn't Mike Woodson basically say? You know, the the schedule he inherited that he wanted to increase it essentially,
3: and he did majorly. So. Um, Again, I was probably more impressed by what they did at Xavier a few, I guess now, what, two weeks from tomorrow or um, two weeks ago than I was last night. Because I just think Assembly Hall is such a cheat code for Indiana almost. And I I don't say it from an officiating standpoint. I just think teams wilt in that environment, especially one last night. I get a better barometer off what I see Indiana do away from home. And what they did at Xavier in finishing off that game in a road environment that, to me, told me and confirmed what I thought entering the season of this is a legit second weekend, Sweet 16 type of team, and once you get there, anything can happen. One thing that I have
1: never understood, and this is a hill I'm willing to die on. I know that we live in an era where people want always want newer, bigger, better, whatever, and they've done renovations that probably – um, took away that conversation, but Assembly Hall in Bloomington, to me, is the world's coolest college basketball arena. Hinkle Field House is spectacular because of the history and the hair. I get that, and the sunbeams coming through. But the thing about Hinkle to me that's interesting is, you know, people get super geeked about it for butler basketball but in reality hinkle fieldhouse's legacy and aura is attached to high school basketball mackey is fabulous because it's loud as heck and there's not a bad seat in it because it's just a perfect circle but the architectural eccentricity of assembly hall combined with i mean you know are the the lower three rows, or, or the upper three rows of the lower level, is it true that you can't even you couldn't even see the scoreboard back before they put the big one in because of the the ill design of the way the balcony came down? Yeah, no question, it sucked sitting up there. But it, th- that's what was cool about it.
3: It's a good workout and, getting up there.
1: Yeah, and then the upper the the balcony. I mean, is it at an angle that like one trip and you might be sailing to your death? Yeah, but I mean that's what was cool about it. Yeah. Closer and, to the
3: moon than you are to the court. Right.
1: But it is just such a cool venue, and the other thing about Assembly Hall to me that is still one of the cool treasures of the state of Indiana is the fact that when you walk into Assembly Hall on the main level, and you take one of the hallways that takes you to the opposite end of the court, um, and then you come back down the stairs, and, and every time it's like a geometry problem where you're like, wait a minute, which direction did I come in? Which side am I on here? Which hallway is that that I just went down to get down to here? You get completely turned around, but it's loud as can be. It completely envelopes the opponent. It completely stifles through anybody that tries to get a momentum run against Indiana. And... It's still, to me, the thing that is so fabulous about Assembly Hall, which is now you know 51 years old or whatever, is somehow or another, especially from the outside, it has managed to look modern no matter how old it is. It still looks futuristic. I just think it's the coolest venue in the state. I I always have, aside from the speedway.
3: And again, I, I find it a bit fitting last night that North Carolina's best player in that game was a Northwestern transfer, a guy that's experienced that building before. Whereas RJ Davis and Caleb Love and even Baycott, who was banged up, you know some of those guys really, really struggled because, you know, I don't even think in the ACC outside of Duke, you feel much of that. Um, so I think that is what's such an advantage, and that's why again you go back to Xavier, where it is a true road game, and that's important for Indiana because when you get into um, Big Ten play and of course the tournament, you're not playing in the friendly confines of assembly hall those to me you get outside of your own building are a little bit better measuring sticks um, to what you're going to face when it gets real in february and march
1: have we gotten away from the um college kids dressing up in like crazy character outfits in the crowd? I didn't notice that as much last night.
3: Well, it, I thought the whiteout was executed pretty
1: well. Right, it, totally. But like, I, I never understood. We the didn't whole, see like any Teletubbies
3: behind the basket. Yeah,
1: like what was that? Was just such a weird thing. Like I'm gonna, I use play, Let's go dress like bumblebees. What?
3: Well, I think it's you know, hey mom, don't look for the cream and crimson. Look for you know me in a turkey costume. I,
1: <laughs> you could wear your turkey hat.
3: I could wear my turkey hat. Yeah. Do you just wear that once a year? It's a Wednesday night Thanksgiving. I guess Wednesday morning, Thanksgiving attire. You don't wear it to dinner though. No, too hot. Mm. And, you know, it's got. You <laughs> it that some hang down in the mashed potatoes a little bit, and what? It, it, it hangs down. Oh,
5: never mind. What? What? what, what I mind when what, somewhere else as usual. Don't worry. Let's the, move on. Are you hallucinating on the? Cunafed? I think I am.
1: How many? Did you take
5: Robitussin also? Oh God, I wish I had some Robitussin. <laughs> I'm gonna clear out some pharmacy <laughs> when we get
3: out of here. Uh, Kurt, want to talk Colts quarterback moving forward? Yeah. What's
7: up, Kurt? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Love the show. I've got a a three-hour drive from Kansas City back down home to Bentonville, and it's time perfectly with your show, so it's good timing.
3: Nice. Safe travels down there.
7: Thank you. Uh, First, I was going to say, it's my birthday today, and I have the big one this year because I used to work at a grocery in O'Malley with Jake.
1: Hell yeah, 50, buddy. Welcome to the Half-Century Happy birthday, Kurt. Put on your little green bow tie and celebrate.
7: Oh, yeah. I, mean, I got to tell you, you know, I have a lot of stories about high school Jake. It was awesome. You know, working at the grocery, you know, he would have the uh, cashiers and us bag boys gathered around the registers telling great stories and his analogies. So, you know, classic classic Jake. Hell, yeah. Good.
3: I'm shocked you've made it to 50, Kurt, <laughs> here in that news.
7: <laughs> so, I mean, he always talks about it. it was the best job, right? We had kids from – all the different high schools. It LA, was great. L.C., Chittar, Cathedral. I was Heritage Christian. It was a it was a good group. It was great. So, uh, yep. I had a quick thought on the Colts. So, ever since that Denver game, that dreadful game we all watched, I was sitting there for the first time saying, um, let's just do let's just do Wait, did you just get
1: passed by a semi? What the hell just happened wait, there, fighters Are you that okay?
7: <laughs> that was a, a Tesla just went by me on the, uh, rumble strips there. Wow. Okay. But,
1: uh, all right. So anyway, <laughs> um, sorry, back to your Colts point. I got distracted.
7: <laughs> so did I, uh, anyway, I was for the first time since suck for luck, I was saying just lose already. Like I, I, this is too painful. Let's get a real quarterback, but this is a bad year to be bad. Cause there's so many bad teams. So I feel like we may not get a top five pick, you know, maybe six for 10 at six through 10 at best. So what are your guys' thoughts on who we go for? I think the start of the year was probably Ohio State or the Alabama quarterback, but you know, who are those top three to five quarterbacks now? You mentioned the USC guy yesterday. I haven't gotten to see him. But, um, yeah, I don't know what the strategy is. We don't know who's going to be making that decision. And, you know, is it Matt Ryan for the final year and have a young guy under him? Or is it Nick Bowles next year with the young guy under him? Or go straight to the rookie just curious i
3: mean thought. just shuddered some of those thoughts Kurt, off, happy
1: 50th man yeah, happy 50th man um first off those questions are i mean that's the uncertainty where you are caleb williams by the way despite i i saw the other day kevin somebody posted an article saying like one nfl gm says caleb williams will be the first player selected in this year's draft I'm like he's not even eligible
3: right not draft eligible
1: he, so, you have to be three years removed from your high school graduating class. Caleb Williams is two years removed. He will not be eligible until next year. An elite level talent. But uh, great questions, though, in terms of what the Colts do and who is going to be in charge of what they do for next year.
3: Yeah. And again, the draft order, we're going to get a little bit more clarity here in the upcoming weeks. But yeah, the Colts are probably, you know, in that seven, eight, nine range. Um, somewhere like that, and considering what you have at the top of the draft with Houston and Carolina and maybe Detroit, and we'll see what other teams are up there, they very well could be looking at the third or fourth quarterback. And you, know, you go back to the conversation we had with Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert f- for the Athletic, and he brought up the names of Will Levis out of Kentucky who's got a lot of the you know kind of salivating traits of the big arm and you know can get out of the pocket a little bit and some Josh Allen type of traits, but the production was definitely not there. Um, they just had their offense coordinator fired the other day, and I know he lost a lot from a weapon standpoint this past season. You know, he would be an option. Hendon Hooker, who just you know tore his ACL a few weeks back from Tennessee, I think the one one of a couple knocks on him is just his age. Uh, I think he's already 25 years old. Uh, would that have some reservations with it? Uh, the offense he comes from is not really an NFL offense either. You know, would that make? some teams, pause. So I would say those are a couple of the names. We'll see what, ha- what happens with Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, who, again, is similar to Levis in that a lot of really enticing traits. Um, it's kind of been compared a little bit to Cam Newton. Um, but that's what makes this so difficult in that, in all likelihood, you probably are not going to be getting the first or second quarterback off the board. So it's more of a you've got to, you know, see if three, four, five on that quarterback list is appealing enough for you to make a move there or you've got to try and make some giant trade up and honestly the team that Colts fans need to hope continues to lose and I'm sorry Mark they need the Bears to lose yep because when you look at the teams yeah you want
1: a team with a quarterback Mm -hmm. drafted in front of you you look
3: at the teams right now with three wins Chicago at three and nine would be the one that you think can have a top five pick and if they're up there you know number two or number three Maybe Matt Eberflus and that connection would help you you know, have a trade-up, and maybe the Bears would be more willing to trade with a team from the AFC than they would a team from the NFC. You're going to have to give up a
5: King's Ransom, though. If they get the number 2 overall pick, you're going to have to give up a King's Ransom.
3: But we've seen that. I mean, the year that Carson Wentz and Jared Goff went 1-2, not in that order. Goff-Wentz, both of those Rams and the Eagles both traded up. For those respective players, is I'm Green for Bay in a scenario.
1: situation of looking for a quarterback moving forward? Do they have the? Do they have him?
3: Oh, I think they will. They will give Jordan Love a chance. You think so? Yeah, I think he got to. I mean, we've only seen him in what two games. Yes, suck.
1: Does, does King's ransom mean the ransom that a king would demand, or the ransom that you would get if you were holding a king I captive? Think the latter. Okay, so if you go and, and you kidnap a king. You can get a ransom yeah. for that king Okay If you want the Earl Sandwich back
5: You better <laughs> send us some old pigeons I don't know <laughs> Okay. Now, people are saying bison
3: is plural Am I That's what that they correctly? said Buffalo
5: is singular, bison is plural That's what we heard Well, buffalo's is also plural I don't know We, we have a buffalo Daniel knows the answer If you want to take him
1: Daniel, what's up? Good morning, Harris How's everyone doing? Doing fine, thanks I feel like death <laughs> yeah, a little bit out of the weather. Um, so bison and buffalo. Hey,
7: this always has bothered me for years. And I'm actually trying to get transition from a corporate world to become a science teacher. And um, yeah, because you know I'm doing it because I want to get pay raise basically. So um, that's a joke, obviously. Bison are North America, and buffalo are uh, Asia. I Think like water buffalo and then uh, African buffalo. So. Buffalo are about half the size. They look like scraggly anorexic buffalo or bison, basically. The so bison are massive. Thousand pounds would be a small one and two thousand to be a big one.
1: Okay, so basically Man, bison Daniel, you're on it. So basically bison are buffalo that came over here, but because they live in the United States, instead of eating bison burgers, they eat regular burgers because they're fat Americans and now they're buffalo. Is that is I like that the, the gist bison burgers? Of it? That is scientific scientifically accurate. I think I'll use it on the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. all right i you know what i think i did know that 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 thank you buffalo Daniel. are north american bison and are bigger stronger faster right there you go educate and entertain everything going
3: okay there yeah i got <laughs> headset issues and charger issues and we got
5: mark meanwhile can't hear anything <laughs> i can hear i'm just seeing kevin break stuff again Jake's knocking over reindeer on the circle.
1: Yeah, the uh, Blitzen fell over. Mm. That was bad. If you look out the window here on Monument Circle, there's uh, what do you think that thing weigh? The that's the, a tough start. The to huge December for reindeer Blitzen. that they have <laughs> right down there. What do you think? What do you think that thing weighs? If we go down to try to lift it back oh, up, ten pounds. Dude, are you kidding me? That's like a, let me look. I it's don't like know. a huge bronze. There are three reindeer that are on part of the circle of lights, and oh, one of them, one of the huge, sta- what would you call it, a statue? I mean, I don't know what you'd call it. It probably weighs as much as like a, a baby bison. Did you know this fun fact? If if Santa's reindeer get stuck anywhere on Christmas Eve, uh-huh. Donner is believed to be the one most likely to survive.
5: Oh. Is he like the group like go-to guy like he's, Donner? I'll take care of it. No, he's the group cannibal. Is what he is. Oh, in case I get stuck well, somewhere. Grim.
3: Getting a few questions <laughs> about it's a Donner
5: a... party joke. See, sorry, the meat's bad. I don't know what happened. No, no, that's Dahmer, not Donner. <laughs> well, that's where you're going. I told you, you can't hear. No, the Donner party, like Donner's Pass. Anyway, Kevin, no. as you were. Donner Donner.
3: Getting a few <laughs> questions, Donner, and I guess that. feel the need to address it because I'm sure it's on some people's minds about. <laughs> A tweet from Tony Donahue last night saying this. Andrew Luck is in town this week and expected to meet with Jim Ursay and Jim Harbaugh. Was told Luck flew into town yesterday as a Colts special guest. Irsay's interest in interviewing Harbaugh for the next head coach. Um, I'm under the impression Andrew Luck is not the biggest Jim Harbaugh fan for what it's worth.
1: Really? I am. Okay. So you don't think that let see Andrew Luck
3: getting on a plane and coming to Indianapolis to be a Colts special Doesn't guest. Doesn't he live here? Does. You know, I think Jeff Smolian had that conversation with him yesterday mentioning that Andrew and the girls are out in Palo Alto right now, grad school for him. We're getting his master's in education, so I don't know if he was flying back you know, for that or what, but um, in terms of a Luck in town or say flying him back to talk jim harbaugh i i do not believe that
1: we could ask should we ask zach that or would that be uh is it too much conjecture to ask zach kiefer about that
3: uh i I, i'm getting a lot of tweets about it i'm sure zach got some so i don't know if he has any opinion on it uh, Zach Kiefer joins us
1: now in the Payless Suggers Hotline. Of course, you can read Zach's work at The Athletic talking about and covering the Indianapolis Colts. He joins us here on a Thursday. So, Zach, we'll begin with that. Uh, Andrew Luck being flown back on the Colts' private jet in order to sit down and introduce Jim Ursay to Jim Harbaugh, even though Harbaugh played for Ursay at one time. Your thoughts?
6: Yeah. Um, rumor season. Here we go. Right? Um... We're going to hear a lot of this stuff, but from everything I know about Andrew Luck, I can't imagine in a million years that he's helping the Colts on their coaching search right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. And I also thought, I didn't think the Luck-Hardball relationship was maybe what everyone thought it was either.
6: I, I don't think they're tight. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put it that way.
3: Zach keeper with us from The Athletic. Uh, Kenny Moore on one of those knee scooters yesterday, ankle injury, and I believe you had it, Zach. Sounds like he's going to miss some time.
6: Yeah, he's not going to play Sunday in Dallas, and it it very much sounds like it could be a couple weeks. Um, It's an ankle. Originally, he went out of the game with a shin, but it's an ankle, and yeah, he's going to be out for some time.
3: I think we're to the point early in the year, I don't know if you felt this way in the locker room yesterday, but... I was talking with Jake a little bit earlier. It just felt like some dejection had crept into that building. And usually that's the last place for it to go of like admitting reality of we get it. We know what our record is and guys are going to have to play for their resumes around the NFL and for, you know, self-motivated individuals going to have to show up right now. It almost seemed like for a team that's not yet mathematically eliminated, they know that they've got one eye set on the offseason vacation.
6: Yeah, and I I wouldn't have said that last week. Um, And I've had some conversation with guys about just how do you approach the last couple games, and Julian Blackman was pretty defiant. He's like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this league. Um, And he didn't mean like he was going to get cut tomorrow, but, you know, the short-term shelf life of this league. and It's a very different tone yesterday. Matt Ryan talking about, you know, I've gained respect for guys and I've lost respect for guys in the past in Atlanta when they were playing hard at the end and when they, they weren't playing hard. So I think these guys understand where they're at, and I think the sad part of it is what they can't say is just, we weren't good enough this season. It's, they've run out of time. They've run out of excuses. The reality is they were just not good enough in 2022. And against four straight teams with, with winning records that are going to be fighting for playoff position, I think they know in the back of their minds that it's going to get worse in the next month.
1: Zach, in your time covering the NFL, see if you can put an uh, an average on this, so to speak. What in, in what year of the tenure of a player does their mindset start to see the reality that the NFL, in fact, is not for long? And I'm not talking about a guy that's like scrapping and clawing for the 53rd spot on the roster. I'm talking about you know, established starting-level players? I think inevitably in any business, but certainly in the NFL, in years like one or two, you know, you probably think to yourself like, oh I mean, I got plenty of chances to get to the Super Bowl. Like, what year is it for most players or at what age does all of a sudden that reality of its go time start to kick in for them?
6: That's a good question, Jake. I don't think it's a certain age. I think it's the first major injury. Because it's a cold, cold business. And I was talking to some guys about this just this week. Like, your best buddy, your teammate, the guy in your position meetings every day, you know, has an injury, and then, boom, the next day he's, he's gone. His locker's cleaned out. He could be gone for the rest of the season. And, you know, I go back to, like, a guy, a good example is, like, Malik Hooker. Like, talented dude. Like, he flashed his rookie year first-round pick and then just got banged up a couple times and, like, didn't get his fifth-year option and was just, you know, he got banged up that second game of his last season here, and Julian Blackman came in and took his job, and it was just like, that's it. He's gone. Like, he was a first-round pick, you know what I mean? He wasn't a guy that was just supposed to be here for a couple years. He was ideally supposed to be a starter for six or seven or eight years, and it's it's just that cold. I mean, the one example I always go back to is the day Andrew Luck retired, the next day in the locker room, his locker was cleaned out. This is the face of a franchise. People inside the building are scrambling. We get his face off posters and cups and all that promotional material. But the NFL just rolls on. And I think it hits guys when they get hurt because they start to realize that no matter how good I am, I'm replaceable tomorrow.
3: Speaking of Malik Hooker, they're going to see him on Sunday. A lot of... uh. Yeah kind of Indiana Colts ties with this Dallas roster. Zach Keeper from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. That was kind of a cool story you shared yesterday and talking to Isaiah Rogers in the locker room, Zach. Um, again, we we just spoke about Jelani Woods. Uh, outside of him, I would say the other bright spots from Monday night, Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. Um, a, kind of an interesting little story there on how Isaiah Rogers all of a sudden said, hey, let's give Dallas a shot at the kick return. And honestly, that was probably the play of the game.
6: Yeah, if the Colts could get an eighty nine yard kick return every drive, they would actually score a lot of
3: points. Chase McLaughlin field goals
6: there. Unfortunately. I I couldn't believe it, man. I went up there and I was just curious. I wasn't gonna write a story about it, but I think everybody's seen that Isaiah is a spark. He had a spark on special teams. He had a forty five yard return early and he wasn't hurt. We didn't get any announcement about him being hurt, and he said he said, Yeah, man, I just I just felt like there was a big return there and I felt like Dallas could do it. I went to Bubba Ventrona and I told him, give Dallas a shot. And I said, are are you kidding me? Like, I don't know if I believe you. And then a bunch of the secondary guys around him were like, that's exactly what happened. And so it speaks to Isaiah Rogers just wanting to be a really good teammate. And obviously Dallas Flowers delivered with the 89-yard return that really sort of changed the game in the third quarter. But um, honestly, I I tell my students in Bloomington, ask questions you don't know the answer to. I had no idea why Isaiah Rogers wasn't returning kicks and I went and asked him. And he totally surprised me with the answer.
3: Yeah, that's uh, great reporting by you. I was curious about that. I thought Rodgers just gotten banged up or something along those lines.
6: He said he took a shot to his ribs, but it wasn't enough to keep him out of the game, obviously. And, I mean, he continues to make plays in the secondary at the cornerback spot. But, yeah, it was totally just like, I want my guy to do well. <laughs> like, when's the last time they heard yeah. this in the NFL? Zach, I
1: asked kevin this question earlier so i'm gonna throw it to you as well we've had conversations each and every week sometimes perhaps circular about different areas with this team this year and i'm talking about just the the 2022 colts it has fallen short of expectation if you had to to say right now the reason the 2022 indianapolis colts fell short is as simple as blank. Fill in the blank.
6: Oh, this is easy, Jake. Everything. Everything that has gone wrong this year, everything goes back to one unit. It's the regression of the offensive line. It's, it's that simple for me. Now, like, it's nuanced, right? Like, it's not just that. Like, Matt Ryan's played poorly in a lot of places, and they don't have a lot of, you know, drafted playmakers and all that stuff, Right. And JT's been banged up. But everything, everything goes back to the offensive line. And for me, it's the left tackle. If you don't have a left tackle, you're just begging to lose games in this league. And I don't hate their approach right now with Bernard Ryman. Just let him learn. And I had a long conversation with him. I mean, the fact the other night on first and 10, he ran the wrong play in the fourth quarter on a potential game-winning drive. So that's kind of the story of the season. But for me... The real issue is, is is right guard going into the season with Danny Pincer, That killed you. But more so, it's the left tackle. It's Matt Pryor. They buried themselves early with that offensive line. And I'm not excusing the other players either. Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson. None of them have been at their best this season. I think everybody would agree, including those three. And this offense, you know, Matt Ryan's not a quarterback that's going to overcome that. And even JT, for all of his talents, he was injured. He can't overcome that because he's getting hit in the backfield a lot. And so, you know, Frank Wright couldn't overcome that. Parks is not going to be able to overcome that. So for me, Jay, that's that's where this all went wrong. And I remember watching the Lions in the Colts practice in August in Westfield. And, and the Lions defensive line really embarrassed Matt Pryor and Danny Tanner in a couple practices. And I always am hesitant to judge Real football in August because they're not playing real football, right? I mean, even with the pads on, it's not quite real football. And I remember writing, like, Matt Pryor looked really bad on a couple snaps. He's going to struggle against speed. And I don't know how I was the only one that saw that. I remember asking Frank Reich about it. But everybody out there that saw that in the preseason and was at Westfield knew this was going to be an issue. For some reason, somehow the Colts didn't. And it really buried their season. I mean, can you guys think of a season that's been sabotaged more by the offensive line? I mean, they don't have a shot because that group can't protect.
3: Well, then in that preseason game, Zach, that's when they played Pryor and Pinter. They they didn't play really any of their offensive starters, yet clearly they felt like they needed to play them for some reason. And I, I always thought it was odd that you know for as much as they preach competition we never saw that with prior penter at all during training camp like I think Ryan Kelly got covid like late in camp and then they did that, you know, Bernard Ryman to left tackle and moved Braden Smith around. That was like day 14 oh, yeah. of camp. We, we You know, right. we never even saw like, okay, Matt Pryor gets the first four days and then Bernard Ryman gets the next four or Danny Pinter gets the first three and then Will Fries gets the next three. I thought that was one of the oddest things. Of all the position battles on that football team, we never saw a true competition there. Honestly, strong safety with Rodney McLeod and Nick Cross was the only place I felt like we saw a real competition.
6: Yeah, you're right, and that seems like 20 years ago because Nick Cross started week one, and McLeod's absolutely taken over that job. Since I hate it, I hate the fact that there wasn't a real competition at left tackle. Now the other part of this is, is you know, Chris Strasser, the offensive line coach, was very blunt at one point, just saying like Ryman's not ready. Like if he was ready, he'd be playing. And the thing that really hurt them, I think, is Danny is is Dennis Kelly getting hurt. You know, he's a veteran; he's a guy you could probably lean on early in the season before Ryman gets ready. But, again, it just, it just defies my belief that we would sit there with Matt Pryor in April or May and ask him about playing left tackle, and he will sit up there and publicly say, if you told me I'm going to be the Colts left tackle, I, I would be the last person on earth to believe that. Like, this is the guy that's supposed to be stopping the fiercest pass rushers in the league every single week. Matt Pryor is a good guy. I've had some talks with him this season. He's, he's owned his mistakes. He knows he needs to be better. But I think even he knew that he was playing out of position. And I go back to that quote from Joe Wright that you shared a couple of weeks ago. Like, look, man, offensive linemen are made and left tackles are born. And Matt Pryor was not born a left tackle. Why did I know that in August and the Colts didn't know that in August? I,
1: I think, Zach, and I know to this point, like, this isn't just beating a dead horse. This is now, like, sending it to the glue factory, right? But <laughs> even with that – I I just keep going back to, quite frankly, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, maybe a younger me wouldn't have admitted this, but at this point I'm old enough, like what the hell. I, I, I just find it offensive, quite frankly, <laughs> on behalf of all of us within that, that cover the team. And we're very privileged to be able and fortunate to be able to, to get into games free and cover games and we have good jobs and we enjoy it and all of that. But, but don't play me for a fool and sit here and tell me that because I'm in the media, I'm not qualified to question decisions about not executing on the offensive line and tell me that because you're a general manager in the NFL, you know more than I do, which is probably true in 99% of the cases. But in this one, we were right. We were right, and we were told repeatedly that we were wrong and we were dumb and we were foolish and that we didn't know what we were talking about and just wait and see, and we're going to be proven wrong. And guess what? This team sucks, and that's the reason why. A- a- and I'm just
6: tired of hearing about it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's nowhere to hide now. We all see it. And I'll go back to this, and I think, you know, I think Chris is ticked off <laughs> at the way his team has played this season, and I think he's probably snapped a couple times. He did. He wished he wouldn't have had. I I did talk to him after the the Monday night press conference with Jeff Saturday, and he said all the questions were fair. So, for for taking what it's worth, I go back to an old Chris Ballard quote, and he said this to me, and he said this to people for years. You guys watch the same games I do. We watch the same stuff that they do. We see the same problems. Um, It doesn't take a football expert to realize what's gone wrong this season.
3: And Zach Kiefer from The Athletic with us. Zach, um, your latest that you're working on, anything to look for before Sunday?
6: Yeah, um, not before Sunday, but next week, um, a really long, a really dark, a really revealing look at former Colt Jeff Harad, who's in a rough place right now. Jake, you remember those teams. I talked to Eric Dickerson about him. Um, One of the best players of the 90s. And honestly, he feel completely forgotten because if you didn't play with Peyton Manning and these guys, lines, um, they almost feel like they've been pushed to the side. So for the old-timers, for the old fans that were there for that wonderful run in 1995 and a lot of years around that that weren't any good, um, Jeff Herod is, is a very interesting guy in a very interesting place. And I've been working on this for a couple months. So excited for that one to come out next week.
1: Yeah, Jeff was a guy that... Um, At a time when there were not a lot of superstars in Indy, I mean, to your point, you know, Dickerson was kind of on his way out in the early 90s. Jeff Harad was a solid, reliable player who probably at times played through injuries that in today's day he would not have played through and would have been preserved a little bit. He was also, and I mean this in a good way, not a bad way, I do think that he had, if I'm not mistaken, some off-field skeletons that came back to hurt him a little bit but he was a popular guy around town i remember in Broaderpole, you know he was he was buddies with um uh, broaderpool legend scott ireland who sadly just passed um and they were good friends but they were just popular guys like jeff harad was kind of indianapolis's buddy does that make sense zach like he was just the guy that everybody in town knew him like oh yeah you know jeff harad good dude he was just a and he was a good player man really good player
6: yeah, he was vicious. I mean, middle linebacker, and I asked him to describe his job, and he said, "My job was to seek and destroy." I mean, that's that's how they played. And, and Jake, you're just you're just tip touching the iceberg right here with the stuff he played through, and and he relayed a lot of that to me. And it was a different era. It was absolutely a different era. I mean, he would he would slip those ammonium tablets in his pants in his pants of his jersey, and then every time he got his bell rung, he'd, he'd sniff them. I mean. He said he had between 300 and 400,000 sub concussions, which is defined as anytime the brain crashes against the skull. And the doctors told him those are worse than actual concussions. So it's, it's it was a rough story, but credit to Jeff for opening up. And it, I think it's important because these guys fade away. Like you said, he was Indianapolis' buddy. A very, very popular guy when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, and he, he's kind of just, forgotten now and so that's kind of the story.
3: Zach Kiefer features are always a must read so looking forward to that one coming out next week. Zach thanks for the time man. Thanks guys. Every
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
4: Hey fam.
1: time i look up
4: i'm kind of scramble
1: mode God, i feel like you what i mean you get on me because i'm having headset plug-in issues at 6 55 uh, a.m i know. Kevin, i got news hot, for you hot it's, kettle black it's, right it's here a quarter of 10 are you rubbing off on me <laughs> okay that's phrasing please <laughs>
3: That's what she said. Our next guest, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files, is with us. I believe Scott was in the building last night in Bloomington. Scott, how was the environment down there?
8: I was, yeah. It was really good, guys, especially the crowd. They actually participated in the whiteout, which is really good. It was also one of the uh, most – it was the most recent time I can remember where the students completely filled the balcony, like, unbelievably well. Not a seat, as you can imagine, Available, uh, Whereas so many times, even in Big Ten play, where there's, there's seats available up there. So I thought the crowd, the environment, everything uh, went pretty well other than I thought the officiating, which had no real handle on the game.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought, honestly, I thought Carolina got a pretty favorable road whistle um, to try and keep them in that game, which they needed desperately. Scott, I
1: guess the good yeah. news for the good news for you is not only did you see uh, a good game between Indiana and North Carolina, but that prohibited you from having to watch the Pacers and the Kings last <laughs> night. Um, do we make much of that? I mean, it is. Look, they're coming off a big win against the Lakers, so you can't say too much about it. But that Lakers win perhaps overshadows what happened the bread on either side of it: the Clippers game, the Kings game. Is this what we should actually expect in terms of the ups and downs yin and yang of a young team?
8: To be clear, it kept me from watching it live. I came home and watched and watched last night's game, which was a rough one because yeah, they they were just frantic, never comfortable. They never really settled in. Um, and to your point, Jake, I don't think I think this was on the far end of the bottom spectrum. Remember we had the front office talk about you're going to see a lot of big wins some bad losses. This was a bad loss. They were never themselves. I didn't recognize this team out there on that court last night. Just in any anything they tried to get into, they were just rushed. They were uncomfortable. It, it just did not look good. So no, I think I think this is more the bottom tier of what things will look like several times this year.
3: Yeah, we probably should note if you look at these first three games out west, though. I mean, you've. Been outplayed in the vast majority of those quarters. I know it's a one and two record, but again, you had to have a pretty wild comeback against the Lakers. So it'll be at the Jazz coming up on Friday for the Pacers. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, with us here on the Payload Liquors Hotline. Scott, I think one of your latest is about Miles Turner changing agencies. Um, you often, I, I don't know if often is the right word, but you certainly see this with guys that are nearing a major contract decision, free agency, et cetera. What did you make of Turner doing that?
6: Yeah, I
8: I thought that was one of the key points here is, hey, he's he's approaching uh, a pivot point here um, just in terms of his career in general, and he's got to make sure that he's got someone on board that has his support, he has theirs, that they're kind of uh, aligned in their beliefs of maybe his value, of maybe where he could play, of maybe what he should prioritize this upcoming summer when he hits free agency for the first time. And I always find that uh, very interesting because it's kind of like, you know, that sophomore, junior kid in, in high school who's getting the recruits. He's feeling all the love for the first time perhaps how do they handle that do they some guys love it and they go home and look at all their letters and you know other guys don't even want to do recruiting visits and have to be dragged out to them and they're not tweeting about it at all so there's just two very different strategies i thought uh and i haven't had the chance to be clear um to talk with him specifically about it because they have been on the road um, but there, I think there was one, several events leading up to it with the no- notable number one thing being the fact that his previous agent represented DeAndre Ayton as well. And that, without a doubt, had to be a little bit awkward this summer when he's here on the roster and all of a sudden DeAndre Ayton is here and signing a contract and then two minutes later leaving. But I don't know if he would feel used. I don't know if he would feel devalued. Um, there may be something to that. The other thing is CAA's... Probably the biggest power in the NBA uh, in terms of agency and how they're able to get things done for their client. So he probably heard a little bit from Tyrese Halliburton, from Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, other guys on the roster and leading into free agency wanted that. Now, specifically in terms of the Pacers, how it affects them directly, I'm not sure it does a ton other than – you know the CAA has some influence they have power in trying to get deals done whether that be a trade here at the deadline or what um but he's with one of the better agents in the league obviously and the notable thing that I appreciate too is the little connections the little stories the agent he's specifically with is a graduate of DePaul here locally.
1: (laughs) Scott in terms of Miles Turner I you know If you look at other players, I think that that Pacer fans have kind of this apprehension because you think they got to move him because Paul George, everybody knew, wanted to get to L.A. Victor Oladipo, everybody knew, even though it was circuitous to get there, wanted to end up like down in Miami. In the case of Miles Turner, there is the assumption he wants to be elsewhere, but I've never heard specifically anywhere he would want to be. Do you believe that he is open to staying here? I think he's considering it. From what here's what I've
8: what I think from what I've known previously before this new agency entered the picture is like any player, he wants to hit free agency, he wants to maximize his value, and he also wants to win again, and I mean postseason wins because he hadn't played in the playoffs the last couple of years because the Pacers team has gone downhill. Um, you know. Going more towards a reshaping or a fresh culture and everything and a, a new vibe, which is going well, but I don't see it being a playoff team still. Uh, and then the other thing that, that a great stat that I always come back to is he's never advanced past the first round. So, yeah, he's experienced that first round when he was younger, but there's a lot to you know, reach in the second round, the, the Eastern Conference Finals, those things, which he certainly has not. Um, in terms of the Pacers, I. I just, I have a hard time seeing it just because of the players they've drafted behind him, the players they prioritize, and are, there, are the Pacers going to be willing to pay him a number that he would be comfortable with, which I believe starts with $20 million, could push to about twenty five. million. Um, I don't believe the Pacers have made an offer, but I, it reminds me of the Victor Oladipo situation. Um, in the in the fall, leading into that that previous year before he was traded, in that the Pacers knew he didn't want an extension that he wanted to get free to free agency, and so there was no really any formal talks or any formal offer made. It was just understood
3: from a length and money standpoint. Can the Pacers offer um, anything more than what other teams around the league can offer him? Yeah,
8: because the Pacers have his bird rights. Should should it get to this point? I just can't see that because if it does reach this point, KB, where we're talking Pacers and uh, and an extension, or gets to free agency this summer, then the Pacers messed up um, and made that risk right of him being able to select his destination. And by not trading him, you might lose him for nothing. But you could sign him to an extension. Could get into talks for example now um um but for the long term what you the pacers advantage is they have his bird rights which allows them to offer a five-year deal whereas any other team could offer him a four-year deal and that's also the value that the pacers would send with him if they did make a trade is that the other team would retain those rights and and have the leg up and giving him a little bit larger deal
3: Gotcha. Okay, Scott Agnes, has Files, with us. Uh, we only got about a minute or two left, Scott. Any update on Chris Duarte and when we should expect his return?
8: I think he's, he's nearing, but whether that's this week or next, um, it's not exactly clear. The good thing is he's doing more on the court. He's on this road trip with the team and around them, but the, one of the bigger issues in guys like this coming back from injury is time to practice because there's not a lot of practice time. The Pacers just wrapped up a difficult portion of their schedule with three quick games out west with a back-to-back. So I would lean towards more likely next week, um, but no specific timeline.
1: Fieldhouse Files is where you can read him. You can read his coverage of the Pacers, even when he's at an IU basketball game. He's burning the midnight oil with the DVR to keep us abreast of what's going on with the blue and gold. Scott, appreciate it as always. Talk soon, all right? All right, thank you guys.